Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, thoughtful conversation about things that matter. Joining me today, Jason Trennert. Uh, he is a friend. He is the chairman and chief executive officer of Strategis. They offer information to investors and big banks and others about the markets and what's going on. And he wrote something about inflation and gas and oil and the mess we're in. And I want him to explain it. It really caught your attention. When it you did. Saw it it yeah. did. And he's a very good guy. He also thinks that some of the climate change stuff borders on a religious. Uh, first, a few things I would like to discuss with you, Mr. Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to tell this audience? All right. So apparently uh, we've made more co- more progress in this country than I thought. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in Subway uh, last week uh-huh. and uh, I'm getting ready to order my sandwich, which, by the way, my sandwich of choice at Subway is a uh, ham sub, bacon, black olives, uh, pickles. We'll throw some uh, extra salt and honey mustard on there. No mayo, honey mustard. I mean, that's what I do. Gentleman in front of me, uh, construction worker. A black guy, he orders his sandwich, and he says, oh, yeah, don't forget the mayo. I'm well, shocked. Well, I'm shocked well, because we talked about this last week. Mayo is just not a black thing. But apparently it is now. And uh, so we've made some progress. And you, with your finger on the pulse of black America, called it last week, and I doubted that. And <laughs> I've never really paid a lot of attention, but when you told me well, you don't do, that you know, black folks don't do mayonnaise, I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, you don't divide by race to do Racial politics. I do, no, I don't do racial <laughs> politics, particularly when it comes to condiments. Right. <laughs> right. We don't see color. We taste the taste is what we what we should do. But mayo. you make potato salad, right? Correct. Without mayo. No, no, with mayo. Well, well. I mean, as a main kind of condiment, you know, like on a sandwich or something. Usually stay away from it, but apparently not. Did you get his name? I did, and I was I was shocked. I was still shocked. I couldn't. Made one interview. <laughs> right. What kind of a guy are you? Yeah, are you a Republican? What kind of a black Yeah, he's a Trump guy. <laughs> right. I like Trump, and I like Mayo. Well, right. there you go. What he, do you think of Tim Scott? He's an outlier. Yeah, no. yeah he's an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, uh, we had verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse mm-hmm. uh, trial. I think it was the just verdict. A lot of people criticizing it, though. A lot of celebrities, politicians. The jury has spoken. The jury has spoken. Shut up. That's it. That's the way it goes. And they found that it was self-defense. This was a disaster, just a horrible thing to happen. And quite apart from this inappropriate post-commentary by Whoopi Goldberg says, he's a murderer. I don't care what the jury said. He's a murderer. President's uh, distress and uh, the vice president's distress. You know, the verdict was the verdict. And, and I got to give it to that jury because they were there were threats, and, you know, and they, they came to their own judgment uh, and conclusion. Larger picture, apart from what everybody's talking about in the news, which is what we've just been saying, is, you know, what, what do the people of uh, Waukesha do now? Do they have a Christmas pra- uh, party parade in the street next year? Mm. Do kids say, I want to go to the parade? in Manitowoc or in Sheboygan, scheduled for next week, week after. I think a lot of parents go say, no, just they go to the parade, they're going to be nervous. Right. They'll be looking at traffic, looking at cars. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable. It's apparent. So do we get a point, do we get to a point with this stuff going on that we kind of lose our innocence? And so people walk Shaw, you know, well, they didn't have the parade last year because of COVID. How are they going to do it next year? I imagine they will. Mm-hmm. 
because they're talking about Waukesha strong and mm-hmm. Wisconsin strong. But it'll be different. When we had these uh, two killers, you remember the two guys in the car who drove around DC killing snipers, people? Yeah. What? The snipers, yeah. The DC sniper. snipers, yeah. Um, and our high school canceled football game. And I just went nuts. I said, that's crazy. Well, the sniper may drive by the field. and do it. I said, let's have the whole entire field surrounded by, you know, you can hire security if you want, but all the fathers will just ring the field mm-hmm. uh, as a show that we will, you know, we'll take the hit, which isn't going to happen, likely very, very small. But it had the whole area spooked. Yeah. And, you know, and one, one understands why. Those are the sorts of things I worry about. And we have a system of justice. It's imperfect for sure. But, you know, you start questioning juries and jury decisions because you have a political lens on this thing. What do you have? What's your alternative? Mm. As a teacher of mine said, you take the law into your own hands, which is an odd expression. What does it mean to take the law into your own hands? It means you're... Whatever you're taking, it's not the law. It's your own sense of vengeance. Now, you know, they're saying, you know, that uh, Rittenhouse was a vigilante, was a a lone uh, gunman, you know, in search of trouble, working outside the system. Well, if you don't abide by the judgments of the system, you're going to have people on the other side of Rittenhouse. All people on the left needed to see was Rittenhouse carrying an AR-15. That's a sign to them that he's a bad dude. He might as well have been wearing a red MAGA hat. And so I'll bet their judgment was made long before the trial. Rittenhouse said in his interview with Tucker Carlson, which is very good, Tucker Carlson's a better interviewer, I think, than a monologue giver, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, he said, I, I just hope the president will you know, go back and listen to the trial. Uh, by the way, this kid was uh, mishandled by his lawyers. Uh, hired a couple of very high-profile lawyers who uh, were raising a ton of money. Mm-hmm. On the case, uh, no doubt they took took a bunch of it, and the guy who defended him in court, Richards, didn't care for these two famous lawyers, and um, told uh, Rittenhouse that he should get rid of him, and he did. And that was a good decision because Richards he did a great job in court. I was I was going to say the other night on uh, Fox, shock Fox panel. Uh, is anybody use this phrase race colored glasses? You know, there's rose-colored mm-hmm. glasses. Mm-hmm. Every, does everything have to be looked at through the lens of race? Right. It certainly would not Dr. King, what Dr. King didn't preach. Boy, right. there's some people who are doing it. They had some idiot from Black Lives Matter, and I, I, he should be disowned by Black Lives Matter. They said, "Would you? what do you think what happened in uh, Waukesha, you know, the car? He said, I don't know, but it could be first step of the revolution. Uh, oh so you, great! You, you can't know. have that. No, you can't, no, you can't, you can't have that. I mean, you, I'm that. sitting here watching this video. There's people in this. I mean, they're having their parade. It's little kids sitting there. I yeah, see a no, toddler who's no. got to be two. Car just barely missed. I know. And the toddler totally unaware you of any saw danger. The, the, the death toll went up. They yeah. No. Up. Absolutely. Yeah. Got a no. Six year old. First step of what? Of re- the revolution? No. 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 Yeah, no. What revolution Man, is this? What are you talking about? Oh, it's so sad. It's so ridiculous. Well, we'll see. The country is riven. Uh, it's torn. There's a cultural divide. I, my audience may get tired of me talking mm-hmm. about this, but I've said this is deep, deeper yeah. than the Civil War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I believe you 100%. It's really bad. It's really bad. And um, Joe Biden was supposed to unify. 
He's not. We're going to talk about gas and inflation and all the economic stuff coming up with Jason Trenard. But these are important issues. We'd love to hear you weigh in on this stuff, folks. So send us an email. Where do they? Where would you send an email? Oh, God only knows. Or would you not respond with an email? No, you should respond with an email. Bill Bennett Podcast at Gmail dot com. And in your response, you know, what could unite us? You know, what could? I can't think of one issue right now that you know. Or yeah, yep. Yep. You would hope. You would hope. I mean, there were all kind of conspiracy theories behind 9-11. People saying, well, America deserved it. No wonder they hate us. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on with that. No, no, like, I know. No, and I, I can't it, think it's that. It's possible that might not And be. that mindset, I don't think, has gotten better over the last, you know, what, 20 years or so. I think Democrats are pretty much with Republicans on Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but what a sorry way to bring about unity of opinion. Take war, some sort of national Take war, devastation. take the abandonment of Afghanistan. Okay, let's talk about economic realities and uh, get a full explanation from Jason. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So let's welcome Jason Trenert, the chairman and chief executive officer of Strategis. This thing you wrote, and, and I know you write a lot of stuff, but this really caught my eye. I guess it was the moment uh, and your insights. Um, tone deaf on inflation, elites, deficit spending, and climate change. Who's tone deaf? Well, it's policymakers, um, which are uh, largely elected officials. They're tone deaf because uh, they seem to be more concerned about um, things like climate change um, as opposed to uh, what Patois at the time now, kitchen table issues. I mean, it it used to be that all issues are largely kitchen table issues, but now uh, I think there's a general sense that uh, the people themselves uh, don't get to choose what they should find important, and uh, policymakers will make that decision for them, and I think that's what's happening now in terms of inflation. Uh, is, is Is our economy right now strong or or not well it's strong to the extent to which you have relatively low uh unemployment uh but it's also i have to say though it's it's been largely driven by an enormous amount of deficit spending which um you know has increased the debt the overall debt of of the u.s from about nine trillion in 2008 to uh, $28 trillion total, $22 trillion owed to the public. So it's strong to the extent to which if just like you could appear very, uh, very wealthy if you maxed out all your credit cards for a while, you, you could appear, have the appearance of being very, very wealthy. Uh, but eventually uh, that uh, those privileges run out. Now, the U.S. has reserve currency, which has been called the exorbitant privilege. Uh, because you, you get away with it because people are willing to lend you money, other other people, other investors around the world. But there have been many countries that have had the exorbitant privilege of a reserve currency that have lost it in much the same way we're going about it now, which is spending a lot of money we don't have. And we can get away with it for a while, but it's not a divine right. What has been the effect of the Biden administration, Biden policies on the state of the economy since January? Well, you, I would, I would argue that the one point, it, this seems like ancient history, but, uh, we passed a $1.9 trillion, uh, stimulus package in March at, at really just the point at which the overall economy was, uh, opening back up due to COVID restrictions. So that provided a lot of extra stimulus that in some ways at precisely the wrong time. 
because uh, a good part of the world was still locked down. So you you gave a lot of you put a lot of cash into the system at a time in which you couldn't provide the good uh, to actually uh, deliver to the people. Uh, then I think in conjunction with Fed uh, keeping rates extraordinarily low and actually expanding the size of its balance sheet, which means that they've just essentially printed money. The combination of those things has led to uh, a big increase in inflation. The first one you noted was. Did you say 1.7 or 1.9? 1.9 trillion dollars. And that was in March. That was in March of this March. year. All right, good. I mean, it was you know it, these numbers. We've gotten accustomed to it uh, because of 2020, um, but those are you know those are eye-wateringly large numbers by any yeah. by by the history of U.S. fiscal policy. That that is not kind of an afterthought, and yet given what we did in 2020, that it, it almost seemed like it was just an afterthought. Um, of course, that also came with it. A very um, very generous unemployment insurance, uh, extra uh, unemployment insurance, right, which right. also I think conspired to keep a lot of people out of the workforce. And so you, it was really a perfect storm of uh, supply issues, in my opinion, uh, that contributed to uh, much higher inflation. And it, it's going to be very difficult, in my opinion, to get back uh, to where we were. Uh, inflation is is not going to settle back in at one and a half to two percent, which it was before the pandemic. I, I think it's, um, it's it's very likely to be much more like three to four percent on a steady state basis wow. uh, in the when, future. What, what's the future? When? When do we see three or four? Well, I think well, right now we're we'd be, we'd be thrilled with three or four because the last CPI number we received, as you know, was six point two percent, highest inflation reading we've uh, had. Uh, in 30 years, uh, the last time we had inflation rating that high, um, reading that high, the, the Fed funds rate uh, was uh, close to 8%. Uh, right now, the Fed funds rate is zero. So um, this is it. that's why it's going to be very difficult to rein this in, in my opinion, because it, it's going to require a lot of political will um, to to rein in inflation. And and public officials are generally put on earth to give things away, not to take them away. <laughs> And, and once established, it is very, very hard to move away from the policy mix that we have now. So we'll see three to four percent interest in six months. I think three to four percent inflation. Oh. Uh, will, you'll see. You'll see three to four percent inflation. You know, we'll we'll will slow down from six. I think I do think that the okay. administration has some sort of case to be made that there are supply issues that will subside okay. next okay. year. But the the bottom line is inflation, in my opinion, is taking a stair step higher. And it is going to be it's going to be very hard to get back to what is generally seen as price stability, which is two percent inflation. I think it's going to be very hard for the Fed to get back there without real pain, uh, without imposing some real pain on the economy. Do you see a, a borrowing rates going up? Uh, you know, the, the... well, this is yeah, this, this is this is a tricky question because the the, uh, the Fed and other central banks have conspired to keep rates low with a, a strategy called financial repression or quantitative easing. There's a lot of names for it, but largely by expanding the size of their balance sheets by buying securities, they've kept interest rates extraordinarily low, a lot lower than the rate of inflation, which is very unusual. Uh, so right now you have if you're if you're buying a ten-year Treasury bond note, um, you get about 1.7% interest, despite the fact that CPI is over six. So that's not a particularly attractive investment. Uh, usually, that would resolve itself by interest rates moving significantly higher. That really hasn't happened this time because the Fed has been such an aggressive buyer of the long end of the curve. So, Bill, you're asking a tough question because what should normally be a free market 
price, which which would normally be set by the free markets, is largely being set by by central banks, which is making the situation worse, in my opinion. It's making inflation much stickier, uh, much more difficult to control, uh, I believe, in the future. I heard what you said going down from six to four in light of something of a case that Biden folks can make. Six months or nine months from now, will the American consumer be better off? I don't think so. I really don't think so. But if it goes from six to four, they should be. Why wouldn't they be? What else? At the, at the margin, but that also there's going to be a price that's going to need to be paid uh, for that. And the price to be paid for that will be will likely be higher interest rates. It will likely be uh, an inability um, to um, use fiscal policy as liberally as they have. Uh, that's a good long-term development, but it's not particularly good for uh, not particularly good in the short term uh, for the economy. I also think, from a regulatory point of view, the administration, particularly as it relates to energy, uh, has made the situation much more difficult. And there's no question in my mind that the regulatory position of of the administration has led to a, a very significant increase in prices at the pump, uh, very specifically, and, and the price of a barrel of oil uh, more generally. Yeah, I want to get to that in a minute, but. Is it true that, that, I mean, inflation, the effects of inflation, you know, I'm asking about the future, six months, nine months, it's it's worse to have a lot of inflation over nine months than over two months, right? I mean, there's a cumulative effect. Keep paying Absolutely. more for everything. And uh, at some point, you know, you just, you know, you, you run out of money, particularly if you're poor. And inflation hurts the poor the most, right? Of course. It's the most regressive tax. Uh, of course, it's the most attractive to politicians, inflation, when you have very high debts. Because if you have very high debts as a politician, you increase inflation, you get to pay off those debts with cheaper dollars. But um, you're getting poorer. Your standard of living is uh, declining because your citizens have much less ability to buy the things that they purchased before. And particularly for people that are at the lower end of the income scale, um, who use a, lo- a lot more of their income to pay for just getting from one day to the next, food, energy, staying warm. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is very serious. It is a, a very, very politically destabilizing event. Uh, the U.S. Is, is, hasn't really dealt with this in, in maybe four decades, but um, there has there have been instances of runaway inflation in the emerging markets and some of the less developed nations. And it, it generally leads to big political changes and a lot of oftentimes violence and political uh, political changes. I was in a debate last night on TV. Uh, I was saying, you know, the Biden's you're responsible for a lot of this inflation. And the guy debating me said, uh, I, I don't agree with Bill. And second, the problem with him saying that is that it might give Biden some ideas that he could actually do something about this. Couldn't Biden and the administration do something about this? Sure. Well, I mean, it, what, what would it be? Person, well, I mean, I would I would start with um, let's let's start with energy policy just as an example. So um, we are the U.S. is blessed with sitting on enormous amounts of fossil fuel. Um, and the first thing that President Biden did, of course, was to shut down the Keystone XL pipeline and also make it much harder to drill on federal land. So you have a situation in which the global economy is picking up. U.S. is in a, in a great position in the Trump administration by being a, next por- a net exporter of oil and goes to being a net importer of oil. Uh, unsurprisingly, the price of oil skyrockets uh, to the point where President Biden is asking OPEC um, to produce more of a commodity that we possess ourselves. 
It makes it makes absolutely no sense. So we could the first thing I would do is ease those restrictions on drilling on federal land uh, and make it easier uh, for energy companies to drill and provide. Uh, people with the resources that we know we're going to need. Um, enriching other countries that don't necessarily have our best interests uh, in mind doesn't seem like a particularly great, and paying for the privilege doesn't seem to me to be a particularly great idea. I think also having uh, a much simpler um, tax code, um, seeking to, to get some, some handle on government spending and having a much simpler tax code, uh, a sleeker government profile would go a long way to establishing business confidence um, and you'd let the economy kind of take care of itself. That is so, of course, that is so absurd as a concept for the people in the Biden administration that it's almost not worth mentioning because it's not really considered. But um, I feel pretty strongly that having a tax code that has three and a half million words in it uh, is not particularly ideal or you know optimal. Uh, the Bible, Old and New Testament, says about 800,000 words on it. Um, the, the federal tax, so the U.S. federal tax code has three and a half million words, words which, may, which means that it, a lot of accountants and lawyers do exceptionally well, uh, but uh, a lot of other people, uh, in my opinion, waste their time, have to waste their time by trying to uh, trying to game the system in some way. Isn't it possible that having, if you read the entire tax code, you might turn away from sin, like reading, <laughs> like reading the Bible, and you say, oh, my gosh, I better start. Well, you know, I, you know, I feel strongly that uh, this is, I mean, this goes to other, I mean, we, we get into a, a, a deeper conversation here, but I, I do think uh, private morality in some ways mirrors of public finance. And uh, I do think that a, a lot of, we, we laugh about this, but there's a, there are a lot of, um, you're seeing at the state level, a lot of things we used to consider sin are being legalized simply to raise revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's almost a form of selling. It's a modern form of selling indulgences in a way, yeah. and without any consideration of what the social costs are. So it, 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 it legalizing marijuana as an example seems appealing because it can raise a lot of revenue, or legalizing online gambling or something. Um, and there's no question it can raise a lot of revenue when we debate how 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 sinful these things are. Uh, by the same token, doing it just to raise money without any consideration of what the what the social costs are seems to me you're only looking at one side of the equation. Um, the, the, the cost to the government longer term could be far greater, particularly when it comes to drugs, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I did a complete and intensive study of Colorado and when they legalized. And, um, you know, each year more revelations come across and become public of what the costs are of legalizing. Um, people don't realize it, but more people are in drug treatment for marijuana than all other drugs combined. Mm. And everybody maybe five or ten people, not the case, who got into opioids and maybe died on opioids, you saw those numbers, 100,000 yes. in the last year, started with marijuana. There is no question it's a gateway drug. It doesn't mean yeah. everybody who smokes it moves on, but right. everybody who moves on moves on from marijuana. From marijuana, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about energy in, in a few ways. One of the first things he did, the president, was to cancel the XL pipeline. And also there have been prohibitions on fracking and other things. Why? What is the economic sense of that? And what is the sense otherwise of that? In my opinion, there, there's no, there's, there's certainly no short intermediate term economic sense to doing that. I guess there is a feeling you could make the case that climate change, global warming will have an economic impact over the longer period of time. We'll have uh, health impacts on the population over a long period of time. And therefore, it's worth um, 
trying to move away from fossil fuels towards renewables. Having said that, um, the way we're doing it now, which is essentially um, doing a 180 from the prior administration and, and you know, going whole hog on, on climate change, on, on dealing with that at every level of government, um, in my opinion, uh, makes no economic sense for regular people. Um, if you're on the coast and you're wealthy, it's not, it may not be that big a deal to spend a dollar more per gallon on gasoline. But for your average person, it's a very, very big deal. And so I don't, I don't really see the economic, um, I don't see the economic benefits of it okay. in, in any, in any way in a, in a short to intermediate term. Last week or so, or last few days, one of his cabinet members, maybe Jennifer Granholm, Secretary of Energy, who didn't know how much oil we consume in a day, said, I think it was her, it may not have been, uh, said, well, you know, it's going to be painful. I mean, I understand the pump, but it's going to be painful to make transition to green. Uh, That's kind of an admission that that's what this was all about, right? Well, I mean, there is a case to be made uh, that the administration knows precisely what it's doing, um, that it wants oil prices to be higher because, frankly, that's the only way that renewable forms of energy make economic sense in the short to intermediate term. Because right now, the, the commodity that we have most in abundance, the cheapest <laughs> the cheapest form of energy production, uh, largely comes from fossil fuels, uh, natural gas in particular, but also oil and, and to a certain extent coal. And of course, there are trade-offs. I'm not saying there are trade-offs from a health perspective or from an environmental perspective, uh, but I'm not so sure when you when you uh, when I looked at uh, a Gallup poll of what the most important issues to voters were when voting in 2020, um, climate change came in 15, 15th out of 16 issues listed in terms of most important. So it's not to say that people don't understand the, uh, the environmental implications of this. It's just that they're they're much more worried about getting from one day to the next. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about national security. They're worried about healthcare, education. Um, and so, um, again, I I believe that politicians really should largely be beholden to their their voters <laughs> that that we're not we're not electing some pride of supermen that uh, have fancy degrees that are are to make all these decisions for us. But that that seems to be the position of the Biden administration, which is chock-a-block with academics and other people that feel that they know better. Curious, back to the question about, you know, whether a president can make things better. If all of a sudden he got uh, enlightenment and said, I was wrong about XL Pipeline, put it back, let's, go, let's start fracking, let's do, you know, all the things we were doing before, would that affect the price of gas? It would. It, it, it would help. It, it absolutely would help us. I, you know, it, it's again, it's almost inconceivable to, to think of that happening, just given the uh, the amount of political capital the administration at, at all levels of the political, uh, at all levels of the administration in all um, all departments. Um, it's hard to imagine that, but it would help, I think, at the margin. Um, it, the, the best thing we could do to bring the price of oil down would be, again, to use what we already have, what we already. Uh, yeah. So short of a full-throated use of that, uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, prices would stay higher longer. Um, but I, I think it's a combination of both very accommodative fiscal policy, extremely accommodative monetary policy, and then also restrictive regulatory policy, particularly as it relates to energy that is resulting in this higher inflation. And so the administration can do can do things to ease the burden. Um, 
uh, on regular people. Um, there is also a, a very powerful, uh, what we call in the investment business, ESG lobby, environmental, social, and governmental governance lobby, uh, which seeks to align uh, people's principles with their investments. That um, That is putting a lot of pressure on energy companies to not reinvest, uh, to give money back to shareholders, which is also resulting in, I believe, underinvestment in energy projects, which is also leading to higher energy prices. The, yeah. the irony about this is it's been very good for the energy stocks. Yeah. It, it's yeah. actually made, the, the Biden administration has actually been a gift to the energy companies from yeah. a yeah, I Wall have Street a, perspective. I have a friend who told me, uh, it's actually someone you know, you were on the same panel with him when we did a show, Wise Guys, remember that? We filmed that yeah. in New York. And he said, you know, um, Biden has increased my net worth by a lot. I own oil stock and man, it's just, you know, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. Well, that's, I, you know, I think one of the ironies of all these policies, really since the financial crisis in 2008, particularly very easy monetary policy, is that um, it has been a boon to wealthy people. Easy monetary policy has increased the, the, the value of financial assets dramatically, while your average person that might just have a savings account gets 0% interest. Um, that's one thing when inflation is one and a half. I mean, it's not good, but it's, it's one thing when inflation is one and a half or two, as it was before the pandemic. But now you have, you know, for, for people that are uh, putatively very worried about income inequality, the combination of policies that we're seeing now, in my opinion, make it far worse. The, far, the, the wealthy are, are benefiting disproportionately from this policy mix. Um, and now I think, to, you know, at the expense of, of working class uh, people. You know, it was the first thing he did was shut down the pipeline. They just had that meeting in uh, was Scotland uh, mm-hmm. about the environment. And I think Almost all of the cabinet went. Everybody in the cabinet is supposed to be paying attention to global warming, including the, you know, Secretary of Education, uh, my old job. I mean, there's something deeper going on here. It's not just that they, you know, don't like oil and gas. There's there's something there's something else. Tell us what your guess is, what it might be. Yeah, and and this is, you know, this is, uh, I I know that the phrase in Washington is staying in your lane. This is just my own, this is cocktail party talk. uh, I'll help you. I'll help you. If you get into the humanities, I'll help you. Yeah, no, it's not, you know, so I'm not a a sociologist, but but I do think that there's a certain sense in which as the society has become more secular, uh, environmentalism has become a a secular religion uh, and in which no heterodox thoughts are allowed. Um, which is to say, listen, let's, we're all, I'm all for using renewable sources of energy, but I, I also think it's, it's got to be a process. It's not something that you can change overnight without undue harm. And yet there's really no room for that type of thinking, I think, today. And I think, I, you know, I think if you, depends on your philosophy of life. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, very uh, spiritual, religious people that are, are environmentalists as well. So I'm not suggesting that. But I, I, I find that uh, the more secular the person, the, the more um, the more of a true believer you tend to have on environmental policy in which, again, no other discussion is really allowed. No other thoughts are really permitted. Uh, because it is, again, it, it is uh, almost all-consuming, and it has it become uh, a secular religion, particularly among, I think, elite. fills the same place in the human heart or mind that religion does. There's, uh, there's a phrase like that in regard to conscientious objection in the law. 
you know, either a religious belief or a belief that has, you know, the same mass or uh, weight as, as religious belief might have in the mind of the believer. Um, yeah. I think you're right here. And part of the reason I think you're right is you get into some discussions with people and this topic comes up and it's not an arguable proposition. Kind of like, you know, right. I believe in God, well, you don't. Well, should we spend the evening arguing about it? Usually not. It it seems to have that same status in in people's lives. And, you know, um, nature abhors a vacuum, and so does the human soul. And if you Mm. don't attach to, you know, religion, faith, you're going to attach to someone else, something else. I remember the story I heard in college, and it was verified. There's so many examples of this, but the the logical positivists um, who, you know, were very active in England, who were kind of taking apart traditional philosophy and saying it's mostly just words and logic chopping and so on. Very analytical. Um, uh, and it's all about, you know, analysis, linguistic analysis, logical analysis, positivism, and, you know, uh, rationality, rationality, rationality. Apparently a bunch of them used to go out to the Stonehenge and sacrifice goats and chickens, mm. you know, um, be- because they they needed to do something, you know, the, right. the human soul requires some belief, and so they took this uh, third-rate, fourth-rate, fifth-rate thing. If you don't, you know, I always wonder when I'm arguing with someone, uh, and they know I'm a you know traditional, you know, card-carrying, public-admitting Catholic, and they don't—they're not buying it at all, and they're even hostile about it. And, I, and I've said it a few times. What 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 plays the role in your heart? that religion plays in mind. And they'll say, oh, not, nothing, just, you know, my family and my work. Yeah. Don't, I don't believe it. Boy, that's, that's uh, boy, what a great question that is uh, in terms of, I can't wait to use that in my next uh, debate. Because I, I, I feel also when it comes to the pandemic policies in the pandemic uh-huh. or, or uh-huh. the public policy, th- there is clearly a divide, uh, I believe, uh, in terms of the secular, people who are more secular versus people who are more spiritual about the optimal strategy in dealing with the pandemic, which is to say people who are more secular, in my opinion, they tend to place much more of their faith in the state, uh, as opposed to people who are somewhat more spiritual are tend to view this as a part of life and, and tend to also tend to have a more, again, tend to be a little bit more, I think, understanding of the trade-off uh, between uh, public health, freedom, humanity, um, you know, all of these things that really make life worth living. So, and again, I, I, I don't impugn anyone's motives. I think everyone's trying to do the right thing, but I, there, there is clearly a difference, I think, in the way people approach these problems, depending on where they're coming from, from a spiritual perspective. Yeah, I mean, you may have a kind of rebirth of a kind of nat- naturism or pantheism, you know? Um, right. And, and I mean, that, that could be back to the, back to the, if you will, more practical future-oriented policy questions you said and and i've heard this number of times sure we're on our way to renewables and and more use of renewables i was on a phone call the other day with some guys big investment guys who's and i said uh will there be any place for oil and gas and they said no no these are guys who you know think we ought to phase in but they said once right. it, once it's phased in that I, we think it'll be all renewables do you believe that I don't know 
Um, really? okay. I think. Well, could, well, well I really be, not. It could it, be it, true, right? It it could be true, but it, it and it it could be true because again, as a free market person and as economist, I I tend to think the the, the cheapest option generally tends to win the most. The cheapest, most efficient option tends tends to win unless government fiat changes that. And so, I, I guess I would say is I I wouldn't believe that, or I think it would take a very very long time without government interference. Certainly not in my lifetime would uh, fossil fuels not be a significant part of the equation. And I, I'm expecting if current actuarial assumptions are appropriate. I'm expecting to live another 35 years. So um, so you know, having said that, I would say that fossil fuels are going to be here for a long time unless government fiat largely legislates them out of business. And that is more of an open question. Um, uh, I do think, though, in democracies, um, the people will will have a say in this eventually. Um, so far, this has been kind of a hostile takeover of our energy policy by the Biden administration. I would say there's this has been happening in Europe for quite some time. But I think also it, it's largely been smoothed over by the fact that the costs of this change, this transition, have largely been mapped um, through a lot of other government policies, through subsidies, other things. As the costs become more apparent and they become more apparent through higher inflation, I have a feeling there's going to be a change of heart among a lot of voters and say, listen, let's slow down. Let's have an all of the above strategy. Um, we know we should do this for the planet, but let's also let's do this in a way in which we're not hurting ordinary people for some you know, for some otherworldly view, some utopian view, which is not it's just not re- unfortunately is not realistic right now. Uh, but but you're, you're predicating that of voters, not of government, not of the this administration. They're not they're not going to see the light as far as you can tell. No way. No, I mean, listen, true believers the in, the, in the sense we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, listen, the Fed, the Fed is being the Fed talks very openly now about its monetary policy being consistent with climate change. And this is someone, again, this is my lane. But I, I can tell you that the Fed has absolutely no ability to control climate change. There's, there's, I mean, it's, um, it would be, it would be not. I mean, I think the Fed has a, a, a difficult time just affecting the inflation rate. It doesn't have a particularly great record on that, and so uh, affecting the climate of a planet that's four and a half billion years old seems a little bit beyond their ken. Uh, my, my own opinion, uh, and yet this is a piety that is um, that is uh, expressed frequently to, uh, I guess stay in with the in crowd uh, right now. Uh, I would much prefer the Fed focus on things that it has some ability to control, like inflation. Well, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'll take my headset off, aim it out the window, and have you shout, Jerome Powell lives about 80 feet down the street here. (laughs) I'll say Go ahead. No, I, I think, listen, focus on inflation. Don't don't focus on things you don't you can't control. I know it's a nice idea, but um, I think that uh, unfortunately, right now, uh, the only thing that is keeping renewables really in the game are enormous government subsidies for governments that don't have a lot of extra money lying around to begin with. That's the, the only way this this works. And I, I've never met a working class person that drives a Tesla. Right. I mean, it's, right. The, the only people that, dr- that drive a Tesla or a Prius tend to be self-important, wealthy people that that are signaling their virtue. I, I you know, I don't know. I don't really know too many other people uh, that that drive these automobiles, and yet they're the ones getting subsidies gotcha. to buy them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I agree. Quick, quick questions. Uh, you said thirty-five years, maybe. I assume that's yeah. for America. Will that be for China? Will China be off uh, coal and? Uh, 
oil and gas in 35 years? No way. No way. I don't think right. there's. Yeah, I don't so. think there's any way. I mean, China, if anything, it's it's talking a good game uh, publicly, but if anything, it's going the other way. It's building more coal-fired plants. It's adopting because it doesn't have vast energy resources. It's using much dirtier fuels to keep its economy humming, and so. Yeah. I wouldn't really particularly trust the, the, um, the CCP to really meet uh, Glasgow COP26 goals. I mean, I, I think it's they didn't show up in Glasgow, but but the idea that they're going to take the lead on, on green energy, uh, maybe economically they'll take the lead, but, um, but for their own economy, they're they're going to <laughs> they're going to be focused on uh, on things that are readily available and cheap. To me, right now, corporations' biggest shame is this. You know, this this fear of the, of china i mean uh, this basketball stuff this this hero out of boston you know boston celtics player you know who's yeah I, uh, a, amen extraordinary i mean what are we doing I, I i said last night on tv what what does china have to do for us to say we don't want to play ball with you you know i mean i i mean i know ted, I, I, ted cruz says let's go over there and beat their commie butts but I wouldn't give them the satisfaction. I, I really wouldn't. I, I would not go anywhere near that place. To say, close down your concentration camp. Agreed. I mean, Jamie Jamie Dimon this morning, um, at, who I have immense respect for, um, happened to say that he believed that J.P. Morgan would survive much longer than the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, within an hour or two, uh, he started apologizing oh, for the, the comment. And... Um, did he do it in Mandarin like John Cena did? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know whether. Yeah, whether that was that was. Uh, I just heard the, the apology in English. I don't, I don't know. There was also you know some sort of yeah. hostage tape yeah. where he's blinking. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. so, but uh, but this, this is. I, I agree with you. There have to be some standards. Some some. Uh, the United States, I, I think, for a long time, stood for a lot of these standards as imperfect as the country may be at times it, it, it really stood for things and, and now unfortunately I think you're you're replacing dollars and cents where kind of a soul uh, or a heart used to be and you I know. say this as a full-throated capitalist I love yeah. I've I, I made my entire career on Wall Street but there are some things that should not be viable uh, that you know there's some things that are not uh, not for sale I would say and um, if only more of our business leaders really, thought that way i agree with you i have an odd thought i'd just like you to react to it while you were talking i was thinking you know the the cabinet going over there for you know the global warming stuff and um this needs to be a focus of everybody in the government if everybody in the government was seeing the world through global warming colored glasses i actually think although not great would be better than being told to see the world in race-colored glasses. I, I, yeah, right. Which is what we're doing much. now. I mean, this is this is ugly and so horrible and so obviously from the gun, divisive. The more you talk about differences in race, the more racial difference you will have. Amen uh, to that. And I think, you know, you're creating problems. I have a lot of friends at very large companies on Wall Street and uh, the Fortune 500, who you know, are are instituting some of these programs, which, in my opinion, are creating more divisions, as you say, than existed before, creating problems that didn't exist yeah. before. And largely, there's a, a greater focus on on virtue signaling rather than virtue. And um, it's it's sad, uh, but that is the nature of um, 
people who are in the public eye right now, they're, they're more afraid of being called names than uh, perhaps standing up for, for what, what is correct. Um, so yeah, they, yeah, some of them show more. I'm not, I'm actually not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people at the bank of America. Who I have a number of friends who've told me about their marching orders and how they had go through all these ridiculous racial equity drills and all that, but they're, they're more willing to do it than it seems to be at least some of them and have it done to their children. You know, the, the Loudoun County right. explosion. Right. Tells you they're still, still, you know, don't, you know, I'll go through that crap. I'll go, somebody said that to me. I'll go through all this crap, all these sessions, these BS sessions. But you start telling my kid and he's privileged and, you know, he has to apologize to every black kid and and he's a bad guy because he's white. (laughs) No, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. I, and, and uh, mercifully, I think that, again, Mercifully, in Loudoun County or Virginia race, I think that we established some limit uh, as to wokeness. And I think that you're right. The limits, uh, it, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. That there's People will go through it because they have to. They have to pay their mortgage and they have to, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll pay lip service to some of these things regardless of whether they're effective or not. But when it comes to their children, I think, obviously, as parents, you, you want all of you, everyone wants their kids to realize their potential in some way and don't don't want them to be labeled as anything other than than who they are. And, and, and don't want them um, don't want them focused on things that they can't change about themselves. So they had nothing to do with. That's right. And so, um, unfortunately, more and more now we're, we're focused on all sorts of things when it comes to people that um, they had nothing to, to do with as opposed to their um their accomplishments or their character. And really didn't matter to them or to people around them or to white people or black people because 98.7% of the interactions in this country between white people and black people are perfectly fine. I see it. I travel. I'm on an airplane every week. Um, And um, so I'm out and about. I've been in 11 cities since September, everywhere from Omaha to L.A. And I believe, Bill, no truer words have ever been spoken. I think people uh, get along extraordinarily well in this com- in this country, one on- especially one-on-one, when it's just you and the, the fellow or the, the woman next to you, regardless of where they come from, especially when you're traveling, when you're, you're all right. kind of miserable. You're all in this thing together. Yeah, and um, and then you turn on the television and you say, "My my goodness, this is this seems very different than what I just experienced." Um, That's right. That's today, right. thank you, Jason, for what you do and thank who you, and thank who you, you and, and who you are. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're you're one of my heroes. This is a great privilege. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank you. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.